Welcome to this episode of Litigation Briefs, Media Shorts on Law and Courts. I'm Scott Dodson, a distinguished professor of law at UC Hastings College of the Law and the director of the Center for Litigation and Courts, which produces this series. In 2019, in a case called Rucho, the US Supreme Court heard a challenge to two states' laws setting election districts. The plaintiffs argued that the states had drawn the districts to so seriously disadvantage one political party that the district map might violate the Equal Protection Clause or other constitutional provisions. But the Supreme Court did not decide the merits of the case. Instead, the court held the case to present a political question not fit for judicial resolution, and it ordered the cases dismissed. What is this political question doctrine? Where does it come from and how does it work? Here to help me with these questions is my guest, Tara Grove, the Vincent and Elkins Chair in Law at Texas Law School. Tara, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for inviting me. What is this political question doctrine? So the political question doctrine um, is a doctrine that says there are some types of legal questions, typically constitutional questions, that courts cannot decide at all. And that's interesting because sometimes we hear about situations where, well, this particular person can't bring a case or someone can't bring a case at a particular time. Doctrines that the law we describe as standing, rightness, and mootness. But the political question doctrine says that no matter who brings the case, no matter when the person brings the case, the court simply cannot decide this issue at all. At least the federal courts cannot decide this issue at all. So it just takes the matter out of the federal judiciary entirely. And the idea seems to be that someone else should decide this question, typically either Congress or the presidency. What are some examples of political questions, maybe some that are committed to either Congress or the president? Well, one of the interesting things about the political question doctrine is that the Supreme Court actually hasn't found very much to be a political question. Um, so for those of you who are thinking, but doesn't the Supreme Court decide constitutional questions? The answer is yes, the Supreme Court does most of the time. And the, and the court, especially over the years, has become less and less inclined to find anything to be a political question that it cannot decide. But one thing that it did hold to be a political question um, was something related to impeachment. And this was in a case called Nixon versus the United States. Now I wanna be clear, this is not Richard Nixon, but Judge Walter Nixon. Judge Nixon was impeached and removed from office. And so he was sitting in jail um, and while he was in jail, he thought, you know, I, 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 I'd really like to keep my salary. Um, and so he challenged his, he challenged the Senate trial that had removed him from office. And he said, hey, the Senate can't do this by just having like a committee of a few senators hear all the evidence in this case. It has to be a full trial before the entire Senate. And the Senate had a rule that said, no, 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 it doesn't have to be a full trial before the entire Senate. We can have just a committee of senators and then the rest of the Senate will vote based on the evidentiary hearing of that committee. So Judge Nixon challenged this rule and the Supreme Court considered it, considered it and said, no, 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 this is a political question. The way the Senate conducts an impeachment trial 
is a political question. Now, I do want to say a lot of people who are familiar with the Nixon case say impeachment is a political question. And that's not actually what the court held. There may be many issues surrounding impeachment, um, some of which have come up in recent years, that federal courts could decide. The only thing the Supreme Court held for sure is that the kind of trial that the Senate has is up to the Senate. And the court did this on two grounds. One, they said, the Constitution provides that the Senate shall have the sole power to try impeachments. So the court said that that is a textual commitment in the U.S. Constitution to say that the Senate gets to decide what an impeachment trial looks like. The court also said, you know, and we can't figure out a, a legal test, what courts call a judicially manageable standard for judging what looks like a trial and what doesn't. Tell me a little bit about the Rucho decision. Is the analysis in Rucho similar to that in Nixon? How is it different? So it's similar in some ways, but I think different in a really important respect. So as, as I said, two grounds for the political question doctrine, I, I, re I was referring to them in discussing Nixon, are whether the constitutional text commits an issue to another branch of government and whether courts can come up with a legal test, what they call a judicially manageable standard. So what the Supreme Court said in Rucho is, well, there's no provision of the constitution that just commits districting to another branch of government. Interestingly, the court could have said that there is a provision of the US constitution that commits these issues to another branch of government uh, because the constitution says the time, places, and manner of regulating elections is left up to state legislatures subject to any revisions by Congress. So the court could have said this is left up in the first instance to state legislatures and then the whole thing goes to Congress if to any branch of the federal government. So the court could have said, this is for Congress, not for us. But the problem with such a ruling would have, would have been precedent. The Supreme Court has, has found for, for many decades that it actually can rule on lots of districting issues. The Supreme Court has in the past, it continues to deal with issues of, of alleged racial gerrymandering. And the Supreme Court also has ruled in the doc, has, has created the doctrine of one person, one vote, the idea that districts are supposed to be equal in population. And so Chief Justice Roberts' opinion in Rucho says, uh, we're not gonna revisit all that stuff. Um, so districting in general is not up to Congress, only partisan gerrymandering. The court said in Rucho that we're just gonna stay out of this one area. We'll still handle racial gerrymandering cases. We'll still handle one person, one vote cases, but we're not going to handle partisan gerrymandering cases. And why? Well, it wasn't because there was any textual commitment, said the court, but because the court couldn't come up with a legal test to figure out what was an okay partisan gerrymander and what was a bad partisan gerrymander. And so that was the, the basis of, of the five justice majority in Rucho. There was no judicially manageable standard. And what was interesting, and one of the things that folks have pointed out about the Rucho case, that appears to be the first Supreme Court decision that held something to be a political question solely because the court couldn't come up with a legal test. And I'll say for any law students who are listening to this, uh, I suspect many of them find this totally baffling because after a couple of years in law school, or those of you who are lawyers who are listening to this, 
after even just a couple of years in law school, you know that the courts have come up with legal tests for all sorts of stuff. And some of them are three-part, four-part, five-part, six-part tests. The test for the political question doctrine itself is a six-part test with the two components I, I, I suggested earlier and lots and lots of prudential considerations. So we are, we are just flooded with complex legal tests. And so it seems surprising that the Supreme Court says, well, in this one area, we just can't figure it out. You mentioned that the courts often decide questions of constitutional law and develop tests to do so, but the political question doctrine instructs the courts to, to not answer the question. That sounds like a doctrine of judicial restraint. Is, is that a fair characterization? The Supreme Court definitely characterizes the political question doctrine as a doctrine of judicial restraint. The court says, hey, we are going to stay out of this matter and leave it up to the political branches. And so it sure sounds that way at first. Um, I have suggested in some of my scholarship that the political question doctrine isn't totally a doctrine of judicial restraint because the first part of the test, whether there's a textual commitment to another branch of government, gives the court the power, one, to say who gets to decide that question. So the court can kind of allocate constitutional power to either Congress or the executive branch under this test. And second, when the court can decide that preliminary question of who decides, the court can also say, hey, we're the ones who get to decide. And what's really interesting about the political question doctrine is outside of cases like Rucho and the Nixon case I mentioned, the Supreme Court has by and large held in its political question cases that, hey, this isn't a political question at all. This is a constitutional question that is up to us, the judiciary. And furthermore, the court has used these cases as a vehicle to say, and not only can we decide these questions, but we are the ultimate expositors of constitutional law. So you guys, everybody else out there, Congress, presidency, state legislatures, et cetera, you guys all have to listen to whatever we say. Rucho is kind of a recent case and Nixon is too. What, what are some of the origins of the political question doctrine? Maybe some of the original political question doctrine cases. So this is highly disputed, right? Exactly um, what is the history of the political question doctrine? Um, at the very least, the doctrine can be traced back to Baker versus Carr in 1962, uh, where Justice Brennan wrote an opinion that held deciding, um, deciding whether something was uh, malapportioned, a decision that ultimately led to the one person, one vote standard, that's not a political question. In doing that, Justice Brennan laid out the six factor test that continues to apply at the Supreme Court and in the lower federal courts. Are there earlier, earlier historical origins? Um, some people say yes. Some folks trace it all the way back to Marbury versus Madison in 1803 saying, Chief Justice Marshall in Marbury anticipated that some questions would be political questions. Other folks trace it back to a case called Luther versus Borden, uh, which raised the question, or uh, seemed to raise the question of who controls Rhode Island? There were two competing governments in Rhode Island. There was actually, for those of you who don't know about this, uh, a civil war in Rhode Island, although it seems like a, a nonviolent civil war. Uh, I think that, um, I think it is a mistake 
to trace the doctrine back to either Marbury versus Madison or Luther versus Borden, at least the current doctrine. What I have found in my own research is that the court historically did not treat constitutional questions as non-justiciable. The court actually decided constitutional questions. There was a different doctrine in the 19th century where the court would, would hold certain questions of fact to be up to the political branches. And so when the political branches decided these questions, um, like which, which government controls a country, that is, um, does the Soviet Union or the czar of Russia control Russia? That would have been a kind of political question under that old system. But the court did not hold that it lacked the power to decide constitutional questions. And I actually think Luther versus Borden falls more into that category rather than serving as a precursor to the Baker versus Carr political question doctrine. But uh, at the, bo the bottom line is there's a significant dispute as, as to the history of the political question doctrine, which makes it all the more interesting that the Supreme Court today views this as a fundamental doctrine that defines the scope of its Article Three power. Tara, thanks so much for helping us understand the political question doctrine. Thank you so much for inviting me. This episode was produced by the Center for Litigation and Courts at UC Hastings College of the Law. If you enjoyed this episode of Litigation Briefs, I hope you'll tune in to future episodes. In fact, I hope you'll consider subscribing to our YouTube channel and audio podcast, which can be accessed through the Center for Litigation and Courts website at sites.ucastings.edu slash CLC. While you're at it, encourage a friend to do the same. This is Litigation Briefs, respectfully submitted, Scott Dodson.